Well, today is part three of our series called Parables, where we've been seeing that Jesus often told stories, not just to illustrate points, but to actually reveal what was actually going on in the hearts and the lives of people. And that's why I said it's so important that when he was telling these stories that you actually listen to what he's saying, not just to the words that he's saying, but the the meaning behind the words and all the illustrations that he was using as well. And so today is going to be no different in that. You're going to have to really listen to what it is that God wants for you to hear today. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to hang out today, Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures will be on the screen, either behind me or on the screen for those of you that are watching online. And if you want to take some notes, you can actually go to our website, exponential.church. You can find all the notes of not only the scriptures, but all the main points that I'm going to be making. For those of you that are watching online, there's a little button that's popping up in the chat right now for you, or actually it's in the upper right-hand corner there of your screen called Talk Notes. You can push that and get all the notes there as well. Now, as you continue to, to turn to Matthew chapter 20, uh, let, let me ask you a question. How many of you who have kids remember uh, your kids when they were young saying, but mom, but dad, that's not fair, right? Now, let me ask you another question. Did you have to teach them that phrase? No. No. They figured that one out all by themselves. Why? Because all of us have this innate, inborn, like, just sense that there's things that are right and things that are wrong, and some things just simply aren't fair. Now, little kids don't know to call it this, but the actual word for it is justice. It's the word justice, and I looked it up. Justice means this. It is just behavior or treatment. Justice is the quality of being fair and reasonable. Injustice is the principle that people receive what they deserve. So all of us, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're a a conservative or a liberal, whether you're religious or irreligious, all of us want to have justice happening in life. Why? Because it gives life sort of a sense of meaning and of purpose. It it helps to, to give a little bit of a peace into our lives as well. But remember when your kids said, But mom, but dad, that's not fair. Sometimes their idea of fairness and of justice was warped, wasn't it? They didn't always understand exactly what that means. Well, the exact same thing happens for us. Even as adults, we don't always understand exactly what is fair, what is justice. And we'll even do this with God. We're like, God, that's not fair. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Or why are you allowing all this to happen in our society? That just doesn't seem like justice. That doesn't seem fair. But this story that Jesus is going to tell here today helps to give the perspective of his idea of justice, his idea of what's fair and what's not fair. You see, we can't live with a warped sense of reality like what little kids do when it comes to justice and and fairness. We have to look to what does God's word have to say about that very thing. And so I hope that this parable today that Jesus is going to tell is going to help you to make some sense out of those times that you think that God simply isn't being fair. Now, this story that Jesus is going to tell here in Matthew chapter 20 is right after a story that Jesus tells about this rich young ruler. Now, I'm not going to get into the full story here today. You can read that story for yourself. But basically, Jesus, he wraps up this story about this young man who, who had walked away from Jesus because he had great wealth and he didn't want to give all that up. And Jesus wraps it up by telling his disciples, look, that whole thing that you just witnessed here, this whole story that you just heard, 
it gives you a little nugget into what heaven is going to be like. And so Jesus actually says this in Matthew 19, verse 30. Many who are the greatest will now be the least important then. Again, he's talking about heaven. So many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And so then Jesus decides to illustrate this for the disciples by telling a story in order so that they can understand this principle. So in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, it's Jesus speaking. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning at 6 a.m. to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, we don't see this a lot here in the Harrisburg area, but if you've ever done much travel through like the south part of Texas, the south part of Arizona, New Mexico, California, you've probably witnessed this if you've been out early one morning, and that is that out on the street corners, you'll see just mass amounts, usually of men, just standing there. Most of them are uh, of, uh, you know, Mexican descent or, uh, you know, of uh, South American descent, uh, Central American descent. We don't know if they're all legal immigrants or not, but usually it's immigrants of some sort. And they're all just standing out there on the street corners. And what's, it's so funny when you watch this. A truck will just drive up to the corner, and the guy in the truck, he'll, like, hold out, like, four fingers, and four guys will jump in the back of the truck. And then the truck drives off, and then another truck will pull up to the corner, and he'll say, hey, I need eight guys. And eight guys will jump into the back of the truck. It's these, again, many of them migrant workers, that they need work for the day. And so, you know, a guy that needs somebody to work in his fields or whatever, he'll just drive up, or his construction company, whatever, they just drive up and they say, hey, I need five, I need seven, I need whatever. Guys, just something. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's like every man for himself, whoever jumps in the truck first, they're hired for the day. And so it would appear that something very similar is happening here in this story, that this vineyard owner, he needs some workers for his field. So at 6 a.m., he goes out and he says, hey, is there anybody that needs some work today? And so he hires a couple of guys. Verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius was one day's wage, okay? So get this picture in your mind. He needs some workers for his field. He goes into the town. He finds some guys. He says, you're hired, and I'm going to pay you a denarius, which was the typical day's wage. Is that fair or not? Yeah. That, that's fair. He's giving them what, what's pretty typical for the situation. All right. Later on, though, that morning, the landowner, he's out and about. He's in the town running some errands. And here's what happens, verses 3 and 4. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them, or telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day, and so they went. Now, what's the difference between the first guys that got hired and what happens here in verses 3 and 4? Shout it out. What happened? What's the difference? Well, they started later, but somebody, I, I heard it. Yeah, set wage. The first guys were told, here's exactly what you're going to be paid, whereas these guys are told, look, come work in my vineyard, and at the end of the day, I will do right by you. I will treat you fairly. I will give you the right thing. And they just trust him. They trust that this is a good guy, this, this master, this landowner. He's a good guy, and he will do what it is that he's promised. Verse 5, at noon and again at 3 o'clock, the landowner did what? 
he did the same thing. He did the exact same thing. Again, these guys aren't told, this is what you're going to be paid. They're just told, trust me. And at the end of the day, I'll do right by you. Verses 6 and 7. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in the town again, and he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because what? Because, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Now, this is crazy. <laughs> it's 5 o'clock. The, the workday is going to end at 6. But he's hiring him at 5. And he says, hey, go out. Get to work. And just like the other guys, they weren't given a contract. They were just told, trust me, at the end of the day, I will pay you what is fair. And so that's what they do. They just trust the landowner to keep his promises. Verses 8 to 12. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received how much? A denarius, a full day's wage. When those, who hire, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a, a denarius. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. These people worked only one hour, and yet you have paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Now I want you to really get the picture of what's happening here in your mind. The workday is done. The landowner says, okay, it's time to, to pay everybody. And the guys that got hired at 5 p.m., they're the first ones he has line up. Now, these guys haven't even broken a sweat. They don't have any dirt underneath their fingernails. They have all this energy because they haven't done anything mostly for, for the day. And he pays them how much? The Daenerys. Now, the guys at the back of the line, the guys that got hired at 6 a.m., they're like, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. Because if he is paying them a full day's wage, I mean, how much is he going to pay us? We worked 12 hours. He's at least going to pay us 12 days worth of wage. Probably he's going to pay us more because we're out in the scorching heat all day long. We're, we're probably going to get like a bonus, like 15 days wage. And so in their minds, they're already like, how am I going to spend all this money? What a windfall this is going to be for me. But then they get to the front of the line, and how much do they get paid? A Daenerys. And all of a sudden they say what? But that's not fair. That's not fair. Why did they get paid so much more than us? As Jesus continues on in the, the story, verses 13 to 15, the landowner answered, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Did you not agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your money now and go. What business is it of yours if I want to pay them the same that I paid you? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Why should you be jealous if I want to be generous with them? Now, I'm sure as Jesus is telling this story, many of the people in the crowd had the same reaction some of you are having. And that is, but wait a second. That wasn't fair. <laughs> they should have been paid more. They did more work. 
why, why should they be paid the, the same amount as, you know, why did everybody get the same amount? That just doesn't seem fair. They deserved more. And I'm sure as Jesus is telling this story and he's sort of sensing the minds of what people were, you know, thinking. He doesn't actually say this here in Scripture, but I'm sure there's a part of him going, hey, you want to talk about what you really deserve? You really want to have that conversation of what you deserve? Because we can have that conversation, and you don't want to. But well, let's have it anyway. And let me have that conversation with you at Exponential, and those of you that are listening and watching online. Here's what you deserve. You deserve hell. That's what you deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. That is all you deserve is eternal punishment in a very real place called hell. Why? Because we've sinned against God. We've messed up. And so that's what you deserve. That's what justice would truly be for you. You don't deserve anything beyond that. And here's what you need to understand. Anything you do get beyond that is an absolute gift from God. Let me say that again. Every single thing that you have here on this planet, other than that Jesus would give you hell, which he doesn't want to give you hell. He, he wants to save you from hell. Anything you have, your clothes, your money, your house, your car, your next breath that you take, the next moment that you have, even your own salvation, you do not deserve that. It is all an absolutely free gift that God has given to you. And so let's quit this nonsense of what's fair and what's not fair and what people deserve and what people don't deserve. Because again, the only thing you deserve is hell. Instead, let's learn as a people to be like the guys in the story that got hired later that said, you know what, we're just going to trust that the master will do what is right. We're just going to trust him. And see, that's what we need to do. We need to learn to trust God, the, the master, that he'll treat me fairly. Not according to the way I should be treated, but because he is such a loving and good and gracious God. And he'll do everything that he promised. And let's go back to that word fair for a second. Let me tell you what isn't fair. What isn't fair is that Jesus was sinless and perfect, but yet he gets arrested, beaten, whipped, spit upon, and then nailed to a cross, not because of anything he did, but because of what you did and what I've done. And that is that we've sinned against him. So again, don't come to God talking about, well, what's fair and what's not fair. Because what we did to him wasn't fair. And so get out of your minds this whole idea of fairness. Instead, learn to trust God to do the right thing at the right time and in the right way in accordance with his definition of justice and fairness, not our definition or the world's definition of those things. Now, the whole point of Jesus' story here is that you do not want to be in a contract relationship with God. The, the first guys, they had a contract. And then they didn't like it when, you know, things didn't work out the way they thought, even though they had that, that contract. 
Jesus is saying, instead, learn to be like the other guys that got hired later in the day. Learn to trust him fully. And so what I want to do here in today's message is I want to give you five sort of warning signs that maybe you are in a contract relationship with God instead of trusting him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if you're taking notes, here's the first warning sign. And that is that I'm bitter because I believe God has withheld a blessing from me, which I think that I deserve. You know, in the the story, the the first ones that that got hired for the day, they became bitter because they thought that they deserved more. But again, let me ask you the question. What is the only thing you deserve? Shout it out. See, we can all like shout hell and it's not a curse word, right? Because we're talking about a real place. That's what we deserve. We all deserve hell. And anything you get beyond that is a gift from God. So that's why all of us need to have this attitude of not, God, why is these bad things happening to me? Or why are all these bad things happening in the planet? That that's not fair. Instead of having that attitude, we should flip it and we should say, God, why are all these good things happening on this planet? Why are all these good things happening to me? Why is it that you give me another day today? That's a gift. Why is it that you've given me so much blessing in life? That's an absolute gift. So don't get bitter. Look at the better things that God has given you. And remember, the ultimate gift that he gave you was his son, Jesus. He's given you salvation, the opportunity to be forgiven of your sin to have a a brand new life and a fresh start. And not just eternal life forever, but a brand new life right here and right now. You don't deserve that, but yet that's what he gives you anyway. And so get away from this whole attitude of, well, God, you owe me. Here's a second then warning sign that maybe you're in a contract relationship with God, and that is, number two, I'm jealous of the good things others have that I want. In the story, again, those, those first workers, they're, they're jealous of the later workers because they thought that, wait, we're more deserving than what they are. They, they get jealous that they have things that, that I, I thought I should have gotten more. And, you know, you and I can be like that as well, can't we? That why, why did they find a spouse and, and I haven't been able to find one yet? Why are they able to have kids and, and I wasn't able to have kids? Or, you know, for, for me, it's like, why do most of the guys here, why do they still have a full head of hair and I don't? <laughs> you know, why, why during COVID did, did they, they were able to keep their job, they were considered an essential worker, but my job wasn't considered and I've been laid off. And so we can get jealous of other people and what they have. But isn't it better to be like the guys later in the story that just said, you know what, I'm going to trust the landowner to do what is right and give me what is fair. Not what I think is fair, not according to a contract, but what he decides to bless me with. And I'm going to be happy with that. No matter what it is, I'll be happy with it. I'm not going to get jealous of others. I'm just going to simply be happy with it. I was at a conference a couple years ago, and 
I can't remember if it was the, the pastor's wife or just somebody in his church, but he, he was telling this story about this woman. She had three, like, really young kids. She was a stay-at-home mom. Now, if you have three boys and they're all under, like, the age of five, you know that could be an adventurous household, right? I mean, just full of energy, but also a little bit of chaos going on as well. And again, she's a stay-at-home mom, and God bless you, stay-at-home moms. You know, a lot of people are like, well, what do you do for a living? And it's like, oh, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And people are like, well, oh, you don't have a job. And it's like, oh, my goodness, that is, that's a job, <laughs> right? So God bless you, stay-at-home moms. But what her husband would do is on Fridays, he would take the morning off. And he would watch the kids so that she could just go do whatever she wanted, just to sort of get away and relax a little bit and just sort of decompress. And so she had this sort of routine and ritual that every Friday she would drive to the mall. She would go buy a magazine first. Then she would go to the Mrs. Fields cookie, you know, place, buy five hot piping chocolate chip cookies. You know, and they're there in the little baggie. Then she would take that, she would go to Starbucks, get a large, whatever they call uh, the venti something, you know, whatever that thing is, the large coffee. And then she would find one of the tables and she would just sit there, <sighs> reading her magazine, eating her cookies, drinking her coffee. That's all she would do all morning long. That was for her just a way to just unwind and relax. Now, on this particular day that she went into Starbucks to get her coffee, it was super packed that day. And if you've ever tried to set at Starbucks, you know that, that sometimes, you know, it's just so full of people that if you want to actually sit down, you actually have to sit down with somebody else at, at their table. You know, obviously you ask for permission first, but, and so that's what she did on this particular day is there was an older gentleman that was sitting there. He was reading the newspaper. She asked, hey, can I sit here? He said, that was fine. And so she sits down, and she cracks open her magazine, and she's reading it, and all of a sudden she notices this older gentleman reaches over, takes one of the chocolate chip cookies, and starts eating it. And so she starts, like, glaring at this guy. How dare he eat her chocolate chip cookie? But to sort of take possession, she reaches over, she takes, you know, one out of the bag herself and starts eating it. She's going to forget all about it, but, you know, she's sort of reading her magazine. A little bit later, he reaches over, he takes another cookie and starts eating it. Now she's, like, really getting mad. And so she reaches over, takes a cookie, starts eating it, and he looks up at her from behind his newspaper and just smiles at her. She's like, the nerve of this guy, you know, he's just smiling at me. So she's reading her magazine again, and then he has, remember, there's only one cookie left. He has the audacity <laughs> to reach into the bag, grab the last chocolate chip cookie, break it in half, <laughs> and offer it to her. Well, she's having nothing to do with it at this point. She is so furious that she stands up, she grabs her purse, she storms out of the Starbucks, she's going to head home, she's rooting through her purse to get her keys out, and there she finds her bag of chocolate chip cookies, untouched, <laughs> uneaten. And she said in that moment, her attitude switched from anger to such admiration for the generosity of this man 
for sharing what he had without any questions. And here's what you and I need to realize. Every single cookie that you have in life isn't yours. Every cookie that you have is because God has given that to you. And when you can start to have that kind of attitude that, wait a second, everything that I have, God gave that to me, now you're not jealous of other people. Why? Because it's not, nobody's cookies anyway. It's God is just sharing his, his bountiful supply of cookies with us. And all of a sudden, what you're going to start to do is you're going to go, wait, since God has been so generous with me, I'm going to be generous with my time, with my money, with my talents. I'm going to start to give my cookies away. And you know what God does in that moment? He says, huh, there's somebody that trusts me. There's somebody that's not in a contract with me. They're going, well, God, I, I did this, so now you need to give me cookies. No, it's just somebody that's trusting me. And they're giving all the cookies away, so I need to give them a whole dozen more. They gave away five, I'm going to give them ten. They gave away fifty, I'm going to give them a thousand. Because they're trusting me. And so we don't have to be jealous. We don't have to live with a contract mentality any longer. Since freely we have received, freely we need to give. Number three then. How do you know if you're in a contract mentality with God? That is, I get angry when God doesn't answer my prayers the way that I think that he should. See, this is the whole problem when we assume that God owes us stuff. You know, we start to go, well, God, I, I went to church this week. God, I read my Bible every single day this week. God, I dropped a couple of dollars in the offering bucket. God, I gave up that sin. God, I, I forgave that person. So God, since I did these things, now you owe me. So God, when I pray these prayers, you have to do it. Because look at what I did for you. Now you have to do something in return for me. But see, that's a contract, isn't it? You do your part, I'll do your part. Or the, then you need to do your part. And then we get angry at God and go, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Don't you see all these things I did for you? But we can't have that attitude. It's not about what God owes you. And again, you don't deserve anything but hell. So stop thinking like that. Now, by the way, I'm not saying to stop praying. Continue to pray. But just don't get angry at God for something that he isn't doing because maybe that isn't the best thing for your life he knows better for your life than what you know for your life and so anytime we get angry at him for not answering our prayers that, that's just foolish and so we need to stop that number four then how do you know if you're in a contract relationship with God well if I feel uncertain about where I stand with God or insecure about my future you know, if you have a contract mentality, you're constantly going to live with this fear of, am I good enough to be earning God's blessing right now? Have I done things in my life that, that, that God's going to disown me for? 
am I going to be sent to hell because of the things that I'm doing right now? Is God paying me back for bad things? But remember the gospel message, and that is that you could never, ever be good enough. And that we're all sinners. We are all desperately wicked. We have all done things to upset God as far as a sinful thing is concerned. But we're not beyond hope. Because God in his love says, I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you salvation. Not because of anything that you've done or haven't done. But as an absolutely free gift. I want to forgive you. I want to give you grace. I want to give you mercy. I want to give you salvation. I want to give you eternal life with me forever. So we can't live like the guys that started out at the beginning of the day that were under a contract. We need to be more like those 5 p.m. workers. They didn't deserve a full day's wage. But yet the master said, that's what I'm going to give you anyway because I want to bless you. And it's the same way with us. You don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. But he says, I want to give that to you. Why? Because I love you. And I want a relationship with you. Why does God do that? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Generously, I should say, even. Gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel message. You don't deserve it. It's because God gave you salvation. So don't live with this contract mentality. Don't live with this doubt, this, this insecurity of, am I right with God or not? Trust the master's promise that I died for you. Number five then. How do you know if you're living in a, a contract mentality? Well, it's if I'm not moved by the suffering of others. You know, when you believe that all good things that you're experiencing in life are the sole result of how good you are and how hard you've worked, then you're going to tend to be callous towards those who have less and say things like, well, they're just getting what they deserve. If they would work hard like I do, then they'd be doing better in life then they can have all the good stuff that I have as well. But you know what? That's a horrible attitude to have. And that's what happens with the first workers here in the story. They weren't thinking, oh, wow, what a great blessing to these guys that got hired at 5 p.m. And, man, that's going to be great for their family that they got paid a full day's wage. That's not what they're thinking. What are they thinking instead? Well, wait a second. That's not fair. These guys didn't work as hard as I did, so why are they getting the same amount that I did? And so they got this idea in their head of what justice really looks like and what fairness really should be. Now, I want you to notice here in the story, there in verse 7, that when the landowner went out and hired the guys at, at 5 p.m., he, he asked them, he says, why haven't you guys been working today? And they say, because... No one hired us. I think what happens is right away in this story, we go, oh, well, the reason that these people weren't hired is because they were just lazy. We think that they probably, they stayed up late all night long playing Fortnite. They woke up at the crack of noon. 
got on their smartphones all afternoon watching TikTok videos. And then about 4 p.m., they're like, hmm, maybe we should like wander in the town and like see if we can find some work today. And they get in about 5 p.m. You know, they had done this like every single day. Every day they wandered into town at 5 and they're like, there's no jobs around here. This town is dead. I mean, nobody wants to hire anybody. I mean, unless you want to like work 40 hours a week or something. I mean, but that's crazy. So I think that's in our minds what, what we think is happening here. But again, notice what happens in the story. They said no one hired us. There's absolutely no indication in the story that they had just shown up at 5 p.m. No, the indication is they had been there all day long. Just no one had given them an opportunity. Now, I bring all that up because I, I, I said this a couple months ago in one of the, the messages. The word that I'm about to use has gotten so twisted politically and even some of the solutions for how to go about this particular word has gotten sort of, it's out there and I don't believe in all of it. But listen, if you were born in America, you are a privileged person. If you were born in America with white skin, you are a privileged person. If you were born in America as a white male, you're even more privileged than that. And many of us, we were born into middle class or even you know, higher type of income. That's a privilege as well. Now again, the, the world and the media, and, and you know, they have twisted that word around and what that means and, and what all the solutions are to it. But some of us, we've been given a little bit of a head start. And what you need to understand about that is you didn't do anything to deserve that. You couldn't help where you were born or what sex you were born or what color you are going to be born. That's just God and his sovereignty, you know, this is where you were planted. And so at and, and the same token that you couldn't do anything about it, don't be ashamed about it either. Don't apologize that you were born as an American. Don't apologize that you were born white. Don't apologize that you're a male. Again, you couldn't do anything about it. However, realize what I said to you the other month, and that is that anytime you have any influence or affluence from a biblical standpoint, because you've been given a little bit of a head start, or maybe you even you, you worked your way to that, when you get influence or affluence, your job then is to speak up for those that don't have influence or affluence. And this is where culture and our society and the media get it all wrong. They say that what justice is, is that people who are in power, people who have influence, people who have affluence, those types of people, they're bad people. And that what social justice is, is we need to tear them down so that we all become equal then. And so again, when you hear people talking about social justice, that's what they're talking about, that we are being oppressed, and so we need to tear down the oppressors. But biblical justice is this. Not that you tear down, pe or tear, 
people down, but that you reach behind and you lift people up. That yes, some of us have been given a head start. And we're not to use that to to lord it over people, to to have power over people. No, we're, we're just supposed to acknowledge that, okay, there are some advantages to our skin color or to our, our sex or whatever that other people don't have, but I'm not going to use that for my advantage. I'm going to reach behind. I'm going to help pull you up to my level so that hopefully we can become more equal, but equal in the sight of God, not equal in the sight of Twitter. huge difference between social justice and biblical justice. Again, biblical justice says that we are all created in the image of God and that we're all equal in that way and that we should be as a community, a community called Exponential Church, a community called Harrisburg, a community of people called the United States, even a community of people called the world, planet Earth, that we should be working together in community with one another. It's not about the haves and the have-nots. It's about that God wants a relationship with every single man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever been born. It's our job to present that good news message that Jesus died for all. He wants a relationship with you. And because God wants a relationship with you, I want a relationship with you as well. No matter what nation you were born in, no matter what skin color you have, no matter if you're rich or poor, that we are all in this together. That's the difference. So I wrap up today, let me just say this. When you live with a contract mentality, it's going to lead to bitterness and jealousy and anger and insecurity and an indifference to people's suffering. But in humility, when you live that way and embrace that it's because of God's grace that I have anything, and you learn to trust him and his promises and his goodness, that your life will now be filled with gratitude and contentment, peace, assurance, and compassion. No longer will you live with an attitude of, but that's not fair, because you'll start to realize that every breath that I have, everything that I own, every gift that I've been given is indeed a gift from the Almighty God, from the landowner that is above all the other landowners, the true master, God the Father, His Son Jesus, and the Spirit. Will you learn to trust them today? Are you going to be like those guys that started out at 6 a.m., contract mentality, It's like, that's not fair. I deserve more. God, you owe me. Again, the only thing you deserve is eternal punishment in hell. God doesn't owe you anything. So that's our choice that we have. Live under a contract or live under the grace and the generosity of our mighty God. The choice is yours. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that... You don't give us what we deserve. Instead, you chose to come to this earth and live the perfect and sinless life that we could never live. And 
you unfairly died on the cross for my sins and all the sins of those who are watching here today and listening here today. You didn't deserve that. It wasn't fair to you, but you did it because of your great love for us. And so help us to embrace that in our own lives and realize how much we are forgiven, how much a a gift everything that we have in life truly is, that we don't have any cookies. It's all yours, and you just keep giving us more and more and more and more. And so with that attitude, then, help us to go out and and to, to treat our relationships with our family members and friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, the people in the community. Help us to live a life of generosity where we generously forgive people, where we generously reach behind and help bring people to where we're at, that we don't lord over our influence or affluence over other people. Help us to to generously, not just to to forgive, but to be financially generous and to be generous with our time and to be generous with our talents. To, To realize that I am so blessed. I'm one of those 5 p.m. workers that God is so blessed that now I want to be a blessing to others. Jesus, help that to be our attitude from now on. That life isn't about us. That's all about becoming more and more like you. A radically generous person. Help us to do that. And I pray this in your name. Amen.